Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. I want you to travel back with me to the year 1900 in Folsom, California, a brand new state penitentiary was recently built to house those who were considered dangerous and a threat to society. It's an impressive piece of architecture. Now a new construction project is underway to expand the prison and to build something that was not included in the original blueprints when it opened 10 years prior, a chapel. Now the chapel was built with hand-cut granite stones, often referred to as graystone. Graystone Chapel, as it was known among the inmates, became a place where God took hold of the hearts and of those seeking after him. There are stories from this prison of gang members breaking their bonds to create a new bond in Christ within those walls. And when the occasional prison riot broke out, it was the prisoners that went and protected the chapel from any harm. It became a place of refuge, a place of renewal, filled with baptism after baptism from generation to generation. And in 1968, a prisoner entered the gray stone walls of the chapel, and he too left a new creation. He left born again. Well, this particular inmate went back to his cell and he quickly grabbed his guitar and he started to pin down the words about his experience of what happened inside that chapel. He would play this song all over the prison. Everyone knew this particular song because he wouldn't stop singing it. The one written by inmate number 59795C, also known as Glenn Shirley. Now, eventually, Glenn made a recording of this in prison there of this particular song, and he gave it to the prison chaplain. Now, the chaplain, Reverend Floyd Gressitz, knew that that following day, a very famous country artist was going to have was scheduled to come in and play a show for the men there in Folsom Prison. It also just so happened that the reverend knew the country singer because he went to his church from time to time when he was in town. So the chaplain took the tape, which was against prison regulation, and he went and paid a visit to the singer. He arrived at the sound of the band rehearsing for their show the following day in the prison. 
Now, the band didn't rehearse often, as it was known among that particular group, but the lead singer, Johnny Cash, insisted that it would be a good idea to do so. And the chaplain says, Johnny, you have got to listen to this. If this guy ever gets out of prison, he's going to run you out of business. So Johnny gave it a listen. And he liked it so much that he and the Tennessee Three stayed up through the night learning how to play it so that at the following day they can end their show with it. So the day came, they were at the prison, and the energy was high. Ooh, man, they were so excited to see Johnny Cash play in the prison. And as Johnny was closing the show, as he was about to put on the last song, he had something special planned. He looks at the great crowd there, and he says, this next song was written by a man right here in Folsom Prison. Hope we do your song justice, Glenn. We're going to do our best. And in the most Johnny Cash country signature sound you can think of, he starts to play the song that Glenn wrote called Greystone Chapel. And the audience of inmates, they erupted in cheers because they heard, uh, heard him play this song over and over again and that they knew who wrote this song. Glenn couldn't believe that his lyrics were now being sung by the famous Johnny Cash for all to hear. And Johnny starts to say and sing in his classic way, inside the walls of prison my body may be, but my Lord has set my soul free. There's a Greystone Chapel here at Folsom, a house of worship in this den of sin. You wouldn't think that God had a place here at Folsom, but he saved the souls of many lost men. Now there's a Greystone Chapel here at Folsom. Stands a hundred years old, made of granite rock. It takes a, a a ring of keys to move here at Folsom, but the door to the house of God is never locked. There are men here that don't ever worship. There are men here who scoff at the ones who pray, but I've got down on my knees in that graystone chapel, and I thank the Lord for helping me each day. Now there's a graystone chapel here at Folsom, it has a touch of God's hand on every stone. It's a flower of light and a field of darkness. And it's giving me strength to carry on. And then Johnny wraps it up by saying, Inside the walls of prison my body may be, but my Lord has set my soul free. So what made the walls of that old gray stone chapel so special to the point that the one and only Johnny Cash is now singing it for all to hear. It wasn't the architecture. It was built a long time ago. It wasn't the design of the chapel. It wasn't the AV abilities or the programs that were available. It was the community. It was the people. You wouldn't think that God had a place here at Folsom, 
but he saved the souls of many lost men. Father, we just pray now as we focus in on this subject of community and the church and our house, that God, I just pray for your understanding, your biblical wisdom. God, I pray that I only speak your truth. And Lord, I pray now for us to all walk away with a clear understanding of what it is you want us to do. If I say anything that isn't true, then correct me. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But we're on week two of a series that we're in called Our House. Now, this one's not built out of Greystone, but we are here in Our House, the Lord's House. And today we're going to focus on the word of community. Like most subjects of the church, the Apostle Paul has something to say about this, about community. Now, he doesn't come out and call it community, but instead he references it as unity in the body of Christ. And he writes that in the book of Ephesians. Now, it's a short book, Ephesians. It's not very long. And unlike several of the other letters that Paul wrote, Ephesians does not address any particular error that the church was doing. It's not, I'm writing this because you did something wrong. There's not really a a specific thing or an issue within that church. Now, some believe even that Ephesians was written, originally designed, to be a letter that was to be shared among all the churches, not designed for just one specific one. Now, this letter, Ephesians, is more of a teaching, general teaching letter to the church as a whole and what God's goals are for the actual church. Paul states that he has received a revelation, or the way he wrote it down was that the mystery has been revealed. And he, Paul, wants to share what God's purpose for the church is. And so this letter is about that. So our start today, when we're looking into it, is here in chapter 4. But to start in chapter 4, that means you got to get through 1, 2, 3. To get some context. So, so far, in the first three chapters, Paul has taught that the church is a place for all. It's a place for everyone. That the church is. There is no division. There is no separation. There is no segregation. But a place for all, to be united in one. Or, as he wrote it, that God has brought both Jew and Gentile into a new relationship. You see, those two were separated, segregated even. But he said that Christ came and brought them into a new relationship together with each other. And that he... God has called the church, you and I, to display his wisdom, to display God's wisdom. No pressure there, you know, to display God's wisdom. So he writes in chapter 4 now, Ephesians, he writes these words. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a a life worthy of the calling you have received. So let's just stop right there. This verse is not a metaphor. 
Paul is actually a prisoner in Rome right now as he's writing this. He, this, this letter comes close to the end of his life while he's in Rome before he was actually martyred. And he right now is in chains and yet he is still focused on the main thing about the church. He believes in it that much. So what is it? He writes to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now the calling referenced right here in this verse is a universal one for the entire church. This is not a specific vocation or a ministry or a call to be a full-time minister or to serve in the church in this capacity. That's not what he's talking about. Instead, it is for the entire church as a whole or our calling you and I share is to serve and live in Christ. That this is the calling of the church. Now, this also was interesting to me, is that this verse also implies something else. It implies that we, you and I, can indeed either live a worthy or unworthy life. That that's written there. That we're actually called to live a worthy life which means we can be an unworthy one. Now, I thought, I thought the whole idea of Christianity or Christ's coming was that we were not worthy, which is why Christ died for us, because we weren't worthy. I thought that's a part of the process is recognizing we're not so that we could go to him and receive grace and salvation. That when we were saved, didn't God's grace just cover us, cover all over us? Well, yes, this is true. It is true, but do not forget. And this is something I think many of us in the faith for a long time either forget or neglect or just put on the back burner somewhere on the bookcase. But it is all true. But don't forget that when you are born again, you are born of the spirits. The old is gone and the new has come. So what does that mean? Well, it means what was once unworthy is now a child of the Most High God. Amen. That's what it means. We were unworthy, and then we came to Christ, and He gave us worth. We became a child of the King. Now, when you're born a royalty, for example, there's a certain way you must live. Us Americans, for whatever reason, are obsessed with the royal family in England. In fact, the Queen just made a big announcement yesterday. And guess what? It's headlining in America. We love it. We love the idea of royalty and bloodlines and all this sort of thing. But when you're in that, that, that family or in that bloodline, there's a certain way you have to act. A certain way you have to, to be, right? Now, we could say for good or for worse. I'll leave that up to the papers. But there's, there is this expectation. And when, uh, in fact, when during the times of kingdoms, I'll even say, when royalty was finding their future spouses. The spouse had to be what? Worthy. Had to be worthy of the name. They had to be from a certain bloodline or from a certain place or from a certain family even to be considered worthy. So what defines worthiness in Christ? Is it our bloodline? Is it our last name? Is it the color of our skin? What defines worthiness 
in Christ? And the answer to that is your character. Your character. That defines worthiness in Christ. That when I signed my, my, my covenant, my promise to be an officer, the little last line that's written on there is to prove myself a worthy officer. It's something we must continue to be chasing and after. So what does the character of a believer look like? Well, Paul writes it. He tells us. Here's what it looks like. If you want to be, here it is. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So worth, worth in the eyes of Christ is humility, is gentleness, is patience, it's love. Are you filled with hatred and anger, filled with racism, greed, and pride? These are unworthy characteristics. They do not represent Christ. They're not who he, who he is. In fact, the verse, this particular verse is an opposite of what the world is screaming at us. It's opposite of what the entire world is putting in our face right now. Do you want to be worthy in the world? Then take what's yours. Shut down your opposition at all costs and destroy your enemies at your will. Want to be worthy in the church? Give away what is yours. Show your opposition your other cheek and love those who mean to do you harm. The problem is that somewhere down the line over history, over time, over whatever, we, the church, started governing the church by the world's standards. We adopted their standard and used it as our metric system. We're quick to turn on each other for position or power. We want churches to look like Fortune 500 companies with large campuses, a high-energy, narcissistic CEO. The world says that this is what success looks like, so we started doing it. Bigger buildings meant more success. More money meant more power and influence. Probably bigger book deals and things like this. And here is the worst part. Here's the worst part, is that we started believing that our church can do it better than your church. We could do worship better than you. We have better programs here. We have a better nursery. As a parent, that's a big deal, you know. There's a big deal, better nursery. A better whatever, fill in the blank. Now, we would never... We'd never say this out loud. You know, we would never say it out loud. But the truth is, is that we stopped seeing the world as the competitor. And instead, we gave that title to the church next door. We're better than they are. Causing us yet again, yet again, 
to only battle from within the ranks, within the family, within the community, on position, power, and success. And this is in direct opposition of what Paul writes in verse 4. He says, There is only one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So instead of playing church, let's be the church. Let's be it. Let's be it. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Oh, yes, Lord. I, you know that I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. That's the last thing he said in the book of John. So what do we do? What do we do? None of this matters unless we know what to do. Because a sermon is useless if we forget it as soon as we walk out. But we've got to know what to do. And I want to be clear up front, too. None of this here is directed at this church or another church. But as I'm called to preach and to research and to talk, this is what comes up. And it's a good reminder for me, too, to remember the, the position I hold in the church, the calling that God has placed on my life to lead and understanding that the vision and the culture I know comes from me. This is what I want, is here. So what do we do? And the answer is you. Usually the answer is Jesus, I know. But today, the answer is you. Your character, your personal character, defines this church. It's not mine. I mean, I'm the guy with the microphone, I get it. But your character defines the church, defines the culture, defines our identity and who we are. We don't need to start a new program or commission a planning study, write a book, or even have to be clever about this one. Our church, you're my church, our church will stop taking any cues from the world. We're not interested in their metrics of success. We will find worth in humility, in gentleness, in patience, and in love. When one of our people falls down, when one of us falls down, there will be a line of hands outstretched to bring them back up. That's our church. If you're sick, we got you, okay? We got you. If a loved one dies, we got you, all right? If you're hungry, if you're homeless, if you need heat, you need some AC, we got you, okay? We got you. And we 
will respond in humility, gentleness, patience, and absolutely in love. And I want to say this, that if you, either in this room or joining us online, are currently without a church or looking for a place to call home, then come and join our family. Because this, this is how we're going to do it in our house, in the family of God. We will be in community with one another, sharing in life's pain, growing in each other's successes. That together, here in this church, our backgrounds, the color of our skin, the anything will not be a source of separation or segregation, but only united under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I do feel an energy, by the way, for the last two years I've been here, that in this room and online, because I know who's watching too, is that there are people who love Jesus. Love Jesus and want to love other people because of what he did for us. This is community. When we can kind of, for better or for worse, take off the mask, if you will, and be real. And just be real. When we're having a bad day, it just happens. Sometimes we got a bad day. And then we have some good days too. This is our church, our community. And everything that we do will always direct to only one direction. Not this way, but only that way. Everything we do. So what made that gray stone chapel so special after all? Well, as Johnny said in his song, it was the people. Because saved people go and save people. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.